There's a romance associated with small towns. We've seen them as the backdrop on TV shows and in movies. There's always fall leaves coating the road and the nosy neighbors who somehow know all of your business. There's that one bar where everyone hangs out, where the bartender knows everyone's order too by heart. And I can tell you that living in a small town is great, but it comes with some caveats. This is Town Sizing, a podcast from HGTV. I'm your host, Anne Helen Peterson. I write about culture. I've published books on burnout and Hollywood gossip, and you might have read my Substack newsletter, Culture Study, or seen my byline in the New York Times. It can be a surprise to some folks that I live in a small town. People wonder, don't you miss having Postmates or like a ramen spot around the corner? Don't you miss going to Ikea, whatever you want? (laughs) But I don't. Ikea is a three-hour drive from here, and that includes a boat ride. I grew up in a small town. I went to college in a small town. And now I live in a small town off the coast of Washington. It's a place called Lummy Island. And it's about 900 people, and even calling it a town is kind of a stretch. There's no mayor, there's no city council, there's no police. There's just a volunteer fire department, and they come in handy a lot. Some of the cliches about small town life are definitely true. Everyone does know your name and how much you paid for your house and whether or not they think it was a good deal. And then there's this subtle hand movement. Anyone who's lived in a small town knows exactly what I'm talking about here. It's not quite a wave. It's just like two fingers lifted off of your steering wheel but you have to do it to every single person that you see, whether they're walking or biking or whatever. Small town living is simpler. And I know that this life can sound pretty idyllic, but there are drawbacks too. Like when the ferry goes out and you just realize I'm not leaving the island for a while. But things like that haven't deterred me. If anything, it's made me more curious about people who also choose this life. So what do we love about small towns? And what are the sacrifices we make to keep our communities strong? On Townsizing, it's all about small town living. Over the course of the next six episodes, we'll take you to small towns across the United States and talk to the people who make them special. Some names you might know. I'm Erin Napier. Dan Napier. But there will be some new voices too. We'll hear the pros of small town living. Like we do a lot of porch sitting. That is one of our favorite pastimes. And some of the cons. Plus, we talked to some city people who are wondering, should they make the small town jump? Are they actually ready? In this show, I talk to the people that I secretly love to talk to the most. Small town people. But don't let that description fool you. There's nothing small about them. First up, the Napiers of Laurel, Mississippi. You might know Ben and Aaron Napier from their hit HGTV show, Hometown, where they help outsiders become Laurel insiders, guiding them through finding the perfect cottage or renovating a classic mid-century home. We also follow as they revitalize the town and create a community around their shop, The Mercantile. And I think that's where we should start the story. Mm, the Mercantile... Well, I designed it, so it's, you know, I think I'm too close to it to talk about it objectively, but my intent when designing the mercantile was for it to feel like you're stepping back in time 
And just you can be honest. You you feel like uh, you feel like oh, what's her name? I'm blanking on uh, the shop around the corner. Kathleen Kelly. You feel like Kathleen Kelly when you're there. Yeah, it's enchanting. If you missed that, Ben's referring to Kathleen Kelly, the beloved bookstore owner in You've Got Mail. Just this amazing smorgasbord for all the senses. You can touch and see and smell and taste the things that we sell. There's um, this great mix of handcrafted, like our checkout tables are oak that been built. And then we have wallpaper that I designed. But then there's also the original plaster, the original pressed tin on the ceiling. And then all of the our displays are like antique pieces of furniture, antique bookcases. And on the shelves are all these American-made goods. You know, I know a lot about the history of Laurel, but for listeners, can you tell us just a little bit about the history that you tell people and how that is just kind of the story that is written on your history, too? Yeah. So Laurel was founded as a a lumber town in the late 1800s. And at one point, there was more yellow pine shipped out of Laurel than anywhere else in the world. And all that is gone now. All the sawmills are gone. Everything from that is gone. But you had a lot like masonite was invented here, and you still have a masonite factory. They were using byproducts of the lumber industry to form new industries. And there were all these support industries that formed up around them, which then made it interesting or made Laurel favorable to new industry coming in because it was like, look, you know, they already they've got railroads, they've got highways. Let's let's open our you know, business here. So uh, Laurel is an industrial town. Um, There's a lot of been. manufacturing that still happens. A here. lot of manufacturing. We just opened a factory here. You know, you moved back to Laurel, Aaron, right after college. How did you get to that decision since you were so eager to leave for college? Um, and what did like the pros and cons list look like for you when you were trying to make that decision? Well, when I was we in college, well, that's not just it, though. We traveled. I traveled a lot when I was in college, and I saw everywhere has problems. Nowhere is perfect. You know, I, I thought that living in a, a big city was the answer. If I'm going to have an art career, that's what I have to do. I have to go there, and I will love it, and that's where I'll fit in. And, you know, I could live in a place like New York when I finished college, and I could live in a 300-square-foot apartment with roommates. Is that my dream? Really? Or I could go back home to Laurel where we have all this incredible beauty, hundred year old live oaks, these historic houses, have a craftsman bungalow, twenty five hundred square feet for hundred forty thousand dollars. My mom would be ten minutes down the road. I could eat supper with my family anytime I wanted. We could have a family. We could have kids. They would have access to family. I don't know. I couldn't think of any cons to going back home. Well, what about running into like the guy you had a crush on when you went to the drugstore? <laughs> yeah. You run into people you know, but uh, it, it's not always a curse. It eventually can become a blessing. Yes, 100%. Um, so you, was it 2008 that you moved back? Yes, 2008. And what was the town that you came back to? I mean, 2008 is a pivotal moment in the history of the United States in terms of what was going on in the economy. So I I just, I'd love to hear what it was like. 
I think we were blissfully ignorant of the economic situation of the world. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were, we were poor uh, and broke and thrilled to renovate <laughs> a historic old loft in downtown Laurel, where we both had jobs. Yeah, and at the time there were like there were maybe six of us that lived in downtown, and wow. two of us were living in downtown because we thought it was cool, and then four four of the apartments was people living there because it there was, was the cheapest place to live because there was no one there. Like yeah, you know, they were there right. to get away from people. It was weird because like there were. Most no business is open. Every storefront was empty. The only restaurant that was open, that was only open for lunch five days a week. That was it. There was nothing, you know, there was a, a coffee shop that was only open in the morning, and that was it. One retail shop. A really popular retail shop, though. Still is very popular. And one so of those restaurants is still open. It wasn't completely dead, but it also wasn't completely alive either. And I think that for us, living in these incredible lofts. I mean, you could have been in Soho. These lofts that we renovated, us and our best friends from college, Jim and Mallory and Josh and Emily, we all lived in these incredible loft apartments in downtown that looked like Soho, Manhattan. Yeah, on a beautiful fall Saturday morning, if you sat at the right spot in the kitchen, you couldn't tell you were in Laurel. Or it looked yeah. like you might be, you know, in Williamsburg or Brooklyn or... Uh, you never yeah. know. You yeah, never so know. we would start to have these like parties in the park that was downtown, and we would invite people and have live music, and you basically have to write the story that you want. I mean, you can't just wait for someone else to do it for you. I find that sometimes people, they think that if they move to a small town, there will automatically be all these like organizations that they can join, and sometimes there are things that you can join, but sometimes you have to do it yourself, like you're talking about. Yeah, you've yeah. got to be the ones. Um, yeah, we formed Laurel Main Street, and that was the catalyst for the change in downtown Laurel. We started, you know, working on economic restructuring and trying to figure out, like, how do we, how do we bring in more business? How do we recruit businesses? How do we help the businesses that are here be better at business? At the time, it seemed like we would never get to where we were 10 years ago. But it also was exciting, and it, it felt awesome. very productive, and like we were really making a difference, and that was really fulfilling and exciting. Yeah. Was there any pushback of, towards some of the revitalization efforts? You know, I think sometimes people they want change and they want vibrance, but then also they're scared of change. So, oh, was there anything that was difficult about that? Uh, I don't know that we really had that much pushback. The hardest thing was you had our town had so many um, vacant owners like buildings that people bought at a tax sale they in the, did in the 80s yeah they did 20 bucks on a building and they win it you know oh if you'll pay the back taxes on this building you get it and it'd be people who didn't live here or people who used to live here and didn't live here anymore or or some of them were people that lived here and they no matter what we said they would not do anything to the building would so sell it's just the building rotting down and uh, we, we lost several buildings through that. I mean, like, there was a little bit of political pushback. Honestly, I would say we got more once we started getting success because then people started questioning how we were getting success. You know, is the, are you getting, is the government giving you more? And for a long time, we weren't getting any, any support from the city government. 
it was, you know, everything was off of the backs of volunteers. merchants and volunteers. Which was about 15 people. Yeah, and it was it was hard. It was really hard. But now the government's very involved and on board and proactive. And so we're very lucky that new, you know, elections got us better officials who cared a lot. What do you think, if someone were to ask you about, like, Okay, if I'm looking at trying to revitalize my small town or a town that, you know, my family is from, that sort of thing, like, what are the building blocks of a thriving small town? You got to find the people. That's the biggest thing. And I think that a lot of towns, our group was guilty of this also. Like, you think, oh, we just need to get some young creatives involved. And you need a lot more than that. I I love young creatives. I married one. Um, I feel like at one point I might've been considered a, a young creative person, (laughs) but, um, you are a creative person. You're just not young anymore. (laughs) uh, That's what I'm saying. I used to be at one point I was considered one. Um, but I mean, you need, you need lawyers who can help you figure out like grant writing, grant writing and legal, like make sure you're doing everything the right way. You need need churches. You need churches that are full of volunteers. You need teachers, schools, service organizations, service organizations. You need them all to care. You need everybody to be on your team because that's the only way that you can do it. Like, so in making the show hometown takeover, you know, in the beginning of it, there were a lot of producers, you know, giving ideas of how. And then Aaron and I came in. We were like, "Look, if these people aren't sold out for this, it nothing we do here will help." And that's the thing is like you have to get everybody or as many people as possible on board. You're not going to be able to get everybody, um, but that was the thing. Like, and a big spread, not just one kind of people. Young creative people have a role, and it is important. Sure. But they are not the ones who are going to fix everything. They're the ones that are going to make what they the, make it look cool. They make it look cool, but it's going to be like the the lawyers and the doctors and the business owners. They're the ones who are going to make it cool. And you got to have that one person who is incredibly well connected and knows everybody. The other thing, another building block, is actually figuring out what your town is, not what it used to be, not what you want it to be. What is this town? This was something that we struggled with. Like we, uh, we wanted, yeah, everybody loves Oxford, Mississippi. I love it. Everybody loves Starkville, Mississippi. Um, everybody loves, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but we're not that. Okay. We don't, we have, Old people. That's right. And young families. And young families. And that's all we have. So you got to cater to those people. I think you got to own being niche. Every town, every small town in America, figure out what your niche market is and just really, really be amazing for that group of people. If you don't have a niche, then make one up. No, totally. <laughs> that is the biggest, like, fake Aaron and I, you and you it. fake it, and you tell people it's a thing. So I read about a town this week that they have, like, the biggest of everything. Like, they have the, the world's biggest, you know, frying pan. And it became a thing, and they started making, all right, what else could we come up with? And so now they're that town. <laughs> Whatever it takes. And people go there, and they, they eat at the restaurants, and they shop at the stores, and they fill their car up with gas, and then they move on to the next town. Yeah. So, you know, there's this myth, I think, when people who don't live in a small town, when they're thinking about moving, they're like, I'm going to show up and everyone there is going to be so invested in their community and it's going to be great. And I think that sometimes 
we need to think more about what encourages people to become invested in their communities. So what do you find is the kind of secret ingredient that gets people looking outside of their own immediate family to say, like, I want to be part of something bigger? I think they see other people doing it and having a lot of fun. And then that makes people want to be a part of it. People want to feel like they belong somewhere. Sometimes people think that community building is only fun, right? It's like only glamorous or like enjoyable 100% of the time. And some of it's just like showing up to the meeting and sitting there and like, you're like, I'm kind of annoyed by this person, but I've known her for 20 years and she's just part of this and she's always showing up too. And like, we're doing the cleanup, Yep. you know, like we are, we're putting away the tables afterwards. Like we're doing that work. We're all working together for the common good. Okay, so talking about, like, from a team standpoint, there were people on my varsity basketball team who I absolutely hated, like despised, (laughs) could not stand. But if a fight broke out in a game, or if this happened before, a fight broke out one weekend at a, a mall, and the fact that one of them was involved meant that, well... Here we go. I'm getting in a fight now. You, you're you a part of this thing together. And that's the way it is in a small town. Like you. That's why we love living in a small town. Don't be mean to my neighbor. You know, I'll talk bad about him to my <laughs> other neighbor, but. <laughs> what is a misconception that people have about small towns just generally that you wish you could correct? Because mine is that like. Sometimes it's like, do you ride horses? Like the things people believe sometimes just blows me away. Do you have the internet? Yeah, we got all those things. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. We we actually do have the internet. So, you know, contrary to what you might believe about us right now, we have shoes and teeth in Mississippi and the internet. Yeah, I think one of the big misconceptions is that it's podunk and it's backwards. There are podunk and backwards people in every state, every country. single square inch of this country. So, this is so it's that, not like a small town problem. Being from South Mississippi, I think that the one that hits the hardest for us is that, you know, we are racist or prejudiced or whatever. That is a pandemic that spans the globe. Small town America has this really rich and flavorful story to tell and we have to work extra hard to combat the stereotypes that people have already placed on small town America. So like Laurel, a lot of people, you know, what's the nightlife like? Like, well, you know, this restaurant stays open till seven. Yeah. Uh, I think the movie theater is showing a movie. The last movie, it airs at eight. So we were filming the Christmas movie last week. And so you had all these people who either were from LA or from Atlanta and they were like, okay, where do we need to go eat tonight? Uh, we want, like, a nice restaurant. And I was like, well, what do you think of as a nice restaurant? And they were like, you know, like, white tablecloth. Like you know, a, a fine a, wine a, a selection. A nice wine selection. I was like, nope. Uh, you're going to want to go to Jackson. <laughs> uh, that's an hour and a half drive. Uh, but it's... If you don't need that, and if you can be happy without that, and find the richness in, you know, the friendships and doing things that really matter, like bringing a town back to life, 
that's important work. I did an interview this morning about our factory, and somebody asked me, uh, it was about our butcher block factory, and they said, what what makes your cutting boards better than someone else's? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they said, you know, what, what do you do to yours that's different? And I said, nothing. It's a cutting board. I said, but... The thing that, what does the cutting board do for Laura? That's, that's, that's basically what I said. The Not thing, what your cutting board can do for you. Ask what it can do for your town. Yeah. Um, but that was the thing. As I said, the thing that makes ours special is that we took an abandoned building that had been hit by a tornado that was, you know, borderline condemned. It looked like a junkyard. We rehabbed it. We're still rehabbing it. And put 75 people to work. And we've, we've got people working there. Um, yeah, there's this... Uh, couple of people who are in the neighborhood that the the factory is in who walk to work like it's you know like it's the 1920s all over again because they don't have a vehicle and they don't have a vehicle because they couldn't get a job and now they have a job that pays really well that you know where we look after them and there's one particular and i, I don't want to say who it is but every time one of the owners sees them walking to work we stop and try to you know hey you need a ride and no, I'm good. I'm, you know, this is how I get my exercise in, knowing that you're fixing to be on your feet all day working for our company. But, you know, they want to get that walk in. And so that's what makes our company special is what, what I like to think about is, you know, all of the people that have a job because of it here in this small town that didn't have to leave and go to another town or to a bigger city to get a job. Do you think that your daughters are going to want to live in Laurel? God, I hope they do. So I don't know. You know, I hope that the girls will travel. I want them to see the world. I want them to see all of it. But I want them to be at home here. That would be a dream for us, I think. Well, and I think a lot of people want to want to come back to their hometowns, especially after they've left for a little bit, right? Yeah. But they don't know how to find a livelihood there. And I think the more that we can make those small towns places where you can you can find a future, yeah. the better. But also, like, through the Internet and social media and, let's be honest, the COVID pandemic, we've adapted as a people and learned, like, Oh, I can have any career I want. I can do this from anywhere. I saw a video this week of a guy setting up a green screen on the beach because he was supposed to be working. And he was. He was, you know, he was he was going to a meeting and he had his computer out and he was working. And um, I don't know, like, I feel like we've 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 crossed some threshold now where careers are not what they used to be. It can be anything you want it to be. Maybe it's some town that. You've never been to, but you visited it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I love this town. I wish I could live here. And, oh, wait, I can live here. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, to have your dream there's a 4,000-square-foot Queen Anne that's for sale with two acres for, you know, $250,000. Yeah, and I, and people can make new families, too, because, you know, some people have families, robust families that they want to go back to, and some people don't have that and can find something Absolutely. that approximates it in a town like that. Yeah, and exactly. that is that is another thing. We have a sign, a poster that we sell in our shop that says, no strangers. No secrets. No secrets. Because that's the big thing that we hear a lot of about small towns is like, man, everybody knows your business. But it's also kind of like if you ain't doing something you're not supposed to, who cares if they know your business because they're looking out for you. And um, we were we were in North Carolina one time. 
and my neighbor called me at, at uh it was seven in the morning in North Carolina and I was like, Oh shoot, it's six AM. Why is he calling me? And I answered and it was because my dog had gotten out and our dog sitter wasn't there and, and I said, Man, I am twelve hours away from you right now. I don't know what to do and he was like, Well don't worry about it, just tell the, the sitter to come and uh come by here. We'll you know, we'll take care of him. Like, huh. Oh. They fed him steak leftovers. Yeah, they fed fed him leftover ribeye. Anyway, that wouldn't happen in a big city. Yeah, I feel like in a big city. That dog's gone. I feel like us from small towns are like, ah, if that happened in a big city, you know, they'd, they'd call the pound or something. And I don't know that they would. I think that there's just this. We have more in common than we, we have. We have more in common than we have. Than we have differences. Than we have differences. That's the word. Talking to them, I wondered what would have happened had Aaron and Ben not had the show hometown. Would they be where they are now? Would they still be in Laurel? You probably won't be surprised by their answer. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We were. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, there's a lot of things that happened in Laurel. We were at the like tipping point when, and we could we could feel it in the town. Like we felt like, man, if we just keep working, if we keep pushing, we are just about to have this ball over the hill, and it is going to take off. Right, and it happened right when HGTV quote unquote discovered us and so it's hard looking back to know like because we had been working at it for 10 years at that point and it was you know it was or almost 10 years and so it was something that we had been pushing and working towards and that's not a you know it was a lot of work like you said it's not easy people think it's going to be fun and easy all the time it was work those loblolly festivals nearly killed us the chili cook-off the car shows they were brutal work days for volunteers and we were right there at it and there are a lot of things that happened right around that time that people just assumed that hgtv came in and paid for we have twinkle lights in downtown oh hgtv put these lights up for us like no we worked for two years raising money to put those up um so it's we feel like we would still be doing this. We feel like HGTV gave us a great big push, a big push, a second wind to go further. Um, and boy, we're thankful. And for we it. are extremely grateful for it. Um, but I still, I think that we would be doing no the same thing. No matter what, we'd be here. Yeah, because Aaron and I, we had already formed the company that became the Laurel Mercantile. Ben young. was building things for it, and I was sourcing American-made and vintage goods for it. So that's probably we'd be doing that. We'd have an online store selling it, and he'd be building furniture, and here we'd be. Yeah, you'd be doing less press, yeah. but you would do, you'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be doing this podcast. Yeah. yeah, I doubt we'd be doing this podcast, but... Thanks, y'all. All right, bye, y'all. Bye. In the episodes to come, you're going to hear a lot more from people just like Aaron and Ben, who are dedicated to the revitalization of their small towns, and hear a lot about their journeys, too. They haven't always been easy, and they'll tell us about what's been bad and awkward, but also what makes it all ultimately worth it. We'll also hear from people who have been thinking about leaving the big city and what's tempting them and what's holding them back. Townsizing is produced by Neon Hum Media for HGTV. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. Until next time, I'm Anne Helen Peterson. And if you see me on the internet or, I don't know, in real life, just give me that small town wave. 